listening to the Filmmaker Happy Hour on X-Ray FM, KXRY Portland, an interview show that talks with filmmakers and film festival directors about the state of cinema in Oregon. On this episode, we talk to the folks behind the film Caddish for Bernie Madoff. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Filmmaker's Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am so glad to be joined by... Uh, two filmmakers, performers who are coming off of uh, such a successful year, uh, Alicia J. Rose and Alicia J. Rabins. Uh, wait, you're nodding your head. Alicia Joe Rabins and yep. Alicia J. Rose. You said Alicia J. Rabins. It's okay. It's not like this is the first time. It's gotten confusing. <laughs> and it's, and it is, you know, so you guys have the same initials and we're not going to hover over that too much, but it it, it has to be for press over the last years. You two have been, uh, co- have had this collaboration uh, out on film festivals and out there. Um, I, I, how much does it matter to each of you that you get the right credit that you deserve? I mean, it, of course it's important, but we also like, we don't mind when people call us the Alicia's. It's happened. It happened just a few days ago at a New York Jewish Film Festival. It's, it's awesome. But at the end of the day, we're very different people and we bring different things to the film. And uh, But it is part of how we found each other. Part of our origin story as collaborators is because of our name similarities. So it comes up a lot, even in Q&As, when people are like, so how did this happen? <laughs> and Ajo, that's what I call her, um, and she calls me Aro often. We rarely call each other Alicia. I don't can't remember the last time I've heard either of us say Alicia to each other. Um, you know, she got an email from me a long time ago and was like, "Who is this person?" And asked her husband, who's been involved in the music scene for a long time, and he knew who I was. Aaron Hartman is her husband's name, and we'd known each other from over two decades ago when he was in another band called Iku, and um, he knew who I was, and then. She kind of she forwarded this email to me. Then I kind of stayed on her radar, and um, she was, I guess, looking for an excuse to hit me up for something. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I had I, I had explored her work because of this strange email coincidence, and really loved it, and thought, oh, it would be so fun to collaborate at some point. And so I kind of saw my opening when I was um, beginning to adapt the stage show of this piece um, into what I originally thought was just going to be film documentation. And I was gonna bring Alicia Rose on just to consult on how to make it a little more uh, interesting because she's such a great storyteller. And she basically walked in the room and said, if you really wanna know what I think, I think why document your stage show? Why not just make a movie? And that's how it happened. For listeners who don't know your film yet, uh, they should. It is truly one of my favorite films I have seen in the last few years um, for its inventiveness, for its storytelling, for its creativity. It's been an incredible year uh, for for the film. You just, although this will show will air later, but you just screened at the Lincoln Center in New York City. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that event. Like, were you both able to be in attendance? Yeah, it was a bit of a roller coaster getting to that moment, but uh, New York Jewish Film Festival invited us out to screen in person at Walter Reed Theater at Lincoln Center. And um, Ajo has a lot of history in New York specifically. And of course we filmed a big chunk of the movie in, in New York. So it was just an honor and a thrill and incredible and important to be at New York Jewish Film Festival, especially at this moment in time. 
Yeah, and, and our and our wonderful producer Laura Cuddy was able to be there too. So that was really special. That the, the three of us are really a team on this film, and so we all got to physically be there for actually two screenings um, this past week, um, which was just really meaningful. This has been on the road, and you've been to a lot of festivals. Um, what were some What were some of the emotions you felt while being at the Lincoln Center? Hey, Joe, <laughs> I want to hear yours. I was like trying not to cry on the escalator up. It's kind of on a second floor entrance. And I just, you know, I, I went to college um, at Barnard, which is the Women's College at Columbia, which is two miles, exactly two miles north, just straight up Broadway. And I have, you know, played music all my life. And so um seeing performances at Lincoln Center was something that I would go buy, you know, $10 standing room opera tickets and um, see my, my, I had some friends who went to Juilliard, so I'd go see them perform because Juilliard's also at Lincoln Center. So the fact that my art was being presented there was more meaningful to me than I can possibly express in, in words. Um, and I just kept thinking like, wow, this is really happening. And, and the, the other thing for me is that I'm, I really come out of live performance. This is my first film. I'd never been on a film set before our first day of filming actually. And so I was having a bit of an out of body experience just being like, I'm performing, but I'm in the audience at the same time. So I was, I was kind of tripping out on that. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, you know, it was thrilling, probably more mind numbing for me was being at the Castro a little earlier in the year because I lived in San Francisco before I made it to Portland from uh, 88 to 95. And that was really like my foundational years of going from being a kid to an adult. So I spent a lot of evenings at the Castro in San Francisco, just, you know, seeing incredible films by John Waters and Blade Runner and all these movies that were formative to my uh, filmmaking upbringing. So when our film was at the Castro at the San Francisco Jewish Film Festival in June of 2021, I was definitely having the same kind of out-of-body experience. But you make it sound like we're having such an amazing journey, which we are in person, but we really have only gone to three film festivals in person and we've been in quite a few more. So, um, so you know, the the, the the virus, all of that has absolutely put a, you know, a bit of a curb on what typically happens in the cycle of a film. But, you know, we had to kind of just lean in early on and realize that this weird time in the world is somehow the perfect time for us and for our movie to emerge, even though it's non-traditional, but so is our film. So we just had to embrace it. And, you know, the film came out right before the death of Madoff in uh, February, March at Portland International Film Festival. And then a month later at Ashland International, Ashland Independent Film Festival, where, uh, where we, we kind of came together with you, um, he had passed away. So it really has been an interesting journey. And I'm, I think we're really glad that it came out when it came out. So the proper context could sort of happen at the very beginning of the run. And then we've had to sort of explain that the film takes place in 2008. So the story that you're seeing is from 2008 and it was during the highly financial crash. And it's a, you know, an artist's journey through, you know, the inside of Ajo's brain. Um, and, you know, getting to know some of some of the, uh, the victims and people adjacent to the crime and, uh, you know, it's, it, maybe you want to tell people about the story a little bit, Phil? Yeah, I, I, think, I think we've been teasing <laughs> it. If, if someone's been listening, they're like, this sounds incredible. This movie's what been bouncing around the world, but what is it? And 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 um, fortunately and unfortunately, it's it's not easy to explain. Like you said, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, traveling through uh, Ajo's, if I can adopt that, uh, brain and inner emotional space. 
Um, and 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 I'm going to quote myself here. I was I was fortunate enough to see the film at, at one of its first stops at Ashland Film Festival uh, and, and wrote a review. And I'll just do a couple of sentences. So a postmodern masterpiece and a top shelf contemporary art film dabbling in Yiddish musicals, flirting with the morality play and splashing in synchronized swimming. I love the swimming. Uh, Portland based musician and artist uh, Alicia Joe Rabin stars in a spellbinding docudrama that yes, retells about Bernie Madoff, but does so by carving out the story's emotional and spiritual contours. And it, you can't say, this is Luke Skywalker fighting against the Death Star. Like there, there's not like um, a straight narrative and you, you pull so many different genres and ways to present uh, from the synchronized swim to uh, gossiping, uh, women gossiping by 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 the pool to PowerPoint presentations. Um, it's 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 and and it and it is about um, well, how do you how do each of you explain it? And like, what's the nutshell that you use to explain the movie? I have been saying genre fluid because I feel like <laughs> that really explains what it is. But look, here's the thing: um, when Ajo brought me in to consult for ostensibly three hours on turning it into a documentation of a stage show. You know, Phil, you and I know each other from years back. You know, I come from the music world, right? I spent 20 years in the music industry. Plus I'm a musician, um, music fanatic, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm a photographer and filmmaker, right? So I've spent a big chunk of my career kind of helping divine people's vision through my vision. Right. So I've done a million music videos and tons of things that have been in service of other artists, but through my artistry, right? It's a weird kind of zone to be in, but one that I've carved out and really love. Um, so when she approached me with the music and the original stage show, I, you know, I had heard about it, but I had never seen it and I hadn't really heard the music, but I fell immediately in love with the songwriting and I loved her songs and that they were in the first person. Felt like, you know, for me, because I'd made three dozen music videos, an opportunity. Right. I was just like, wow, she she is these people. She's taken on like the voice of these people. It's not just singing about somebody in the third person, which I feel like uh, inherently has distance to it. It had this her songwriting and Ajo's performance within the songs had this really beautiful emotional immediacy. And so that's why I was so full of bluster of like, why would you document this when we have the opportunity, like maybe for you to become these people or for us as the viewer to witness who these people really are and to get a, a more deeper connection to them. So that was kind of what drew me in. And then I loved, you know, as a Jew who grew up in a very religious household and then rebelled against it because it was too constraining, I, I fell in love with her sort of educator, um, spiritual witchy self, and the way that that could kind of tell the story without making it seem didactic and sort of allowing people into her experience as an artist, but also into her experience as a Jew. And that was exciting to me. So I, those were my sort of intentions going into that day without necessarily thinking I was gonna be the person who's gonna make this movie. I just was like, why would you do that when you could do this? And I really wanted to see it come to life. And I thought, I'm now a fan of this. Thank you very much, Alicia Joe Rabins. You sent me all this stuff. I was like, this is really cool. Please don't waste this opportunity. You know, there's a way to do this. I swear that could really reach many more audiences. So here we are now, four years later, I think. And we're like, oh, it really is reaching. <laughs> what do you, Ajo, 
now yeah, you're here. <laughs> yeah, and just in terms of like a brief little recap for people who haven't um, seen the film, um, I mean, in, in some ways it is hard to describe because we are definitely genre fluid and there's some, you know, kind of big concepts coming in and out of it. And then there's like humor and um, music and a lot of a lot of threads. But on another level, it's a pretty simple um, story, which is that I had an artist residency in real life um, down on Wall Street from a nonprofit that takes empty real estate in lower Manhattan and lets artists work in it as, as studio space. And so I was living in Brooklyn and every day I would kind of commute in to work in this really dilapidated floor of an office building with a lot of other artists, because when a when a company starts stops renting an office floor, they just move all their stuff out and then there's no repairs because no one's in there. So there's like wires hanging from the ceiling and the carpet's all torn up. But there we are like on Wall Street surrounded by these like gleaming towers and very fancy people. And um, so that that that's the situation that I was in when um, the financial collapse was happening. And so I felt like there was um, I did not enter with an interest in finance at all or any background in that except for trying to pay my rent in New York. Um, but I very quickly felt like, oh, wow, there's like a real life drama happening around me that is as fascinating as anything that I could kind of come up with from my from my imagination. And, and my imagination kind of began to interact with um, the financial crash and then with Bernie Madoff's crimes when they were revealed as a Jewish person who is also a Jewish educator and does a lot of work with like feminist uh, approaches to Jewish texts I really felt this I felt this shame that someone from my kind of you know culture even though I didn't know him or have any connection to him but had committed this terrible crime and I also felt like I wanted to look at it from the biggest perspective in terms of also you know, in, in a lot of ways, it had nothing to, in every way almost, it had nothing to do with the fact that he was Jewish. It was uh, the fact that the American financial system allowed it to function, the scam, for four decades. Um, and holding those two ideas together of like just my kind of um, reflexive embarrassment and horror that somebody from, from my community, most broadly defined, had done this horrible thing, but then my kind of intellectual I just had this clarity of like, you can't make up numbers for 40 years and have that be one of the biggest, fanciest, most famous like funds in the stock market without a whole system that's kind of complicit in supporting that. Um, so essentially the story of the film is the story of my year of being in this residency, becoming obsessed with Bernie Madoff and these questions and beginning to interview people um, one by one who had some relationship to the story and then I began to create an art piece of turning their the interviews into songs and then kind of performing them for my fellow artists. And, and that's what grew into the original solo show that we adapted into this film. So that might be a great time to take a, a quick dive into some of the music there. Do you want to, uh, one of you set up a, a music piece, piece from the film for us? Yeah, so um, the person who I interviewed who sort of represents the victims um, is, uh, she was a therapist who was kind of a, a friend of a friend of my parents 
Um, and she did not personally lose her own money. Um, she was kind of a younger generation, but her, her mother had lost um, pretty much all the family savings and was very elderly and having memory problems. And so it was this huge, huge impact on their family. It wasn't like extra money. It was like her, literally her retirement that she was going to be living off of. So this therapist very generously um, welcomed me to come and sit in her office for an hour and she told me her story and I didn't record it but I took notes and then as soon as I got back to my little kind of office studio I began to turn those notes into a song so this is the story that this therapist told me about her family's involvement with Bernie Madoff. My grandfather deserted the czar's army and came here at 17. He had a small business in boys' apparel. Oh, my grandfather came here at 17. My parents grew up in the Bronx. They met at 13, and my father became an orthodontist they moved to long island when i was three but my parents grew up in the bronx they joined a country club played golf and had a nice life all their childhood friends became doctors and lawyers and wives then an accountant friend who'd they known forever said he had a new connection to this genius investor and that's how they got in with bernie madoff and the accountant lost all his own money too Steady return in good times and bad She had piles and piles of statements She would copy all the numbers On the outside of the envelopes She began to lose her memory But she had a steady return in good times and bad taken that they failed in that way that they lost all the money they worked so hard to save my heart goes out to the men who are still alive I called my brother. 
and he said, I'm reading the times, I know. And an image came into my mind of a gun that went puff with smoke. All the whole thing, all the money was gone, all the money was gone. In a puff of smoke, in a puff of smoke, all the money was gone. She held the keys to her house in her hand the whole way down. They joined the country club, played golf, and had a nice life. All their childhood friends became doctors and lawyers and wives. Then an accountant friend who they'd known forever said he had a new connection to this genius investor. My parents both grew up in the Bronx. And my grandfather came here at 17. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Filmmaker's Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm talking with uh, Lisa J. Rose and Alicia uh, Joe Rabins, uh, whose film A Caddish for Bernie Madoff uh, has, had a, has been out for about a year now. You have taken this film on the sort of the, the traditional film festival circuit. Uh, and, and it's had some great success there. What happens in terms of distribution, uh, in terms of availability for audiences? Right now we're in a period where probably it's, it's pretty much film festivals and occasionally a, a community might license it. And then we'll move into a kind of indie theatrical time. And also communities will definitely be able to license it for streaming or live within their communities. And then more broadly, it will be available for streaming on all the platforms. Probably in fall is what we're thinking. Yeah, we're thinking fall. I know, I, ha I hate to uh, talk up the film so much and be like, bad, but you, you, have, you, you can't see it unless you travel to Europe or the Lincoln Center. <laughs> well, I mean, what I would suggest, because things come up all the time, new screenings happen, we don't know it's, right now what's next, but in a week we suddenly know about five things. So the best thing people can do if they're interested in the film is to sign up on our mailing list, which uh, they can find at just akkadishforburniemadoff.com, or they can go to our Instagram, which is akkadishforburniemadoff, or to our Facebook, it's all the same thing. Um, the website has links to everything and that helps. But yeah, it, it is a little frustrating, but that's normal. You know, it takes a while for things to cook in the festival circuit. We're just trying to, you know, we've been really lucky to win a few awards and um, we've gotten some really amazing press uh, along the way. Things like that kind of help, I think, tell the story of the film and why it matters. So, or why folks should perhaps take the, take their, take a chance and see it invest their time with it. Um, it's actually pretty short. It's only an hour and 15 minutes. We like to think that we've packed a lot in a in a short field, but you know, really it's part musical and it's part memoir narrative. Um, it's sort of an avant-garde documentary in a sense, having Alicia Jo Rabin's play herself, um, which was an interesting choice that we had to make at the very beginning, really based on budget and reality. Um, but I think for two minutes, we we're like, what if we had other people play all the characters that was shot down quickly? Um, and we had some help from so many amazing, especially 
Portland artists in helping us bring the film together. Um, yeah, let's um, name some of those amazing Portland artists. Yeah, uh, choreographer Tani Holt, who was someone I've known for years and I brought to Ajo thinking, wow, this movie is basically going to take shape if we bring choreography in now. That was for me, like as the director in a way, even after the script was adapted, even after we were kind of envisioning what it was going to be, you know, what the music videos, which are the songs that Ajo talks about, the interviews with all the different people, those songs um, were turned into music videos where Ajo plays the different characters. So, so far, one of our other favorite reviews is um, the drag is solid. <laughs> That's what somebody said about Ajo's <laughs> drag. And so we've got her in um, male drag for a few and in different ages and mm -hmm. all sorts of different careers. Um, so she's playing all these different characters. So she's plays about six or seven different characters, including herself throughout the course of the film. And it makes for, you know, a pretty wild little journey through these individual characters and also her experience as an artist going through, you know, I mean, I was alive as an artist during, well, obviously I'm in my fifties now, so I was definitely made it through the financial crash. <laughs> but um, my interest even in making the film was, you know, trying to connect Bernie Madoff to what we're experiencing now in the world and how, you know, people who are, uh, in love with telling people what they want to hear and have no ability to somehow tell the truth or deal with the consequences of their actions morally or even apologize, which he never did to any of the victims. Um, it For a minute, that felt like maybe it was an aberration. And that was my question to ask Ajo, is this an aberration or a trend? You know, and it, it helped cause her to write another, a new song in the film that's toward the end of the film. Um, but it's something that matters to me, bringing it forward, right, to where we are now. I feel like Bernie Madoff, as we've said in, in other interviews, is really a cipher for anybody who could commit those kinds of sins against humanity, let alone their own tribe. You know, unfortunately, we only have a, a few minutes left, and I, I, I would, I could keep talking about this movie, and I'm so curious about the the path that it's taken. One, maybe one of the last questions I have here then is, has the meaning of the movie changed for you over the year? Uh, Ajo, I, I'm going to quote your, you back to yourself uh, in an email interview that we had uh, almost a year ago, and you wrote, it's a mystical detective story, and then you added to that, the piece is about the power of imagination to help us make meaning during difficult times, and then you wrapped up with saying it's really about healing. Does that still resonate? Has that expanded? Has that shifted? Yeah, you know, I tend to make art that feels like it's addressing like burning issues in my own emotional life and my own soul. And that's that's why it's kind of a way of getting through the day and 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 finding stories that can frame what's actually happening in my personal life and then in the world that I see around me. And so unfortunately, as Alicia Rose said, it's it's um it's kind of an evergreen story of um people getting power and, and abusing it. Um, and people with power kind of stomping on people with less power. And I think we see that sadly every day in the news. Um, and so to, to try to retell that story and, and make something beautiful out of it um, to, to help us frame how we might move beyond it, how we might heal from it, how we might nourish ourselves in those times to have more strength to keep resisting. Um, I do feel that, um, it, it, you know, the, the, the literal connection to what's happening in real time keeps changing, but the deeper themes, I think, are uh, just part of being human. 
And I think it keeps deepening. I feel like, especially sadly with the pandemic where things have just snowballed into such a hot mess, um, we're all trying to understand this trauma we're living through while we're living through it, which is really hard. We Nobody really has a moment to process all the things we've experienced over the past 10, 20 years. And so, I don't know, any any tool I think is a, is a really relevant thing. And it's been incredible to see our movie be a tool and really help people, I, I hope, you know, move through some of this and have something that entertains them. And they can laugh a little, they can cry a little, they can be sort of invested in the journey of Alicia Jo Rapins as an artist, which could be them. Like this could be their journey as well. Yeah, well, we see the sequel, uh, A Kaddish for COVID. God, I hope not. We are thinking about our next project and it is again, a healing reframing of stories, but it's very, very different, um, very different stories. So um, <laughs> no, well, we're gonna avoid the, the COVID story. But I do just briefly wanna name some of our other collaborators that brought this to life, um, especially our Portland-based um, animator, Zach Margolis, whose animations just are such a huge part of the film. And those synchronized swimmers that you mentioned, the Rose City Raindrops, who did incredible work, and our production designers, Nora Coley and Sarah Turner, and again, our producer, Lara Cuddy, all of whom, you know, without any one of those, this would not be the piece that it is. And um, we're just so grateful to our community for coming together and helping us make this. Elisa J. Rose and Alicia Joe Rabins, uh, <laughs> uh, congratulations on Caddis for Bernie Madoff. It truly is a magical film. I really, oh, uh, so worthy of all the success that it's had. And I'm so glad that you two came together on, on, on an errant email. And, and, and this is what, what, what wonderfulness grew out of it. Uh, this has been the, film, the Filmmaker's Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. Thank you for tuning in. The Filmmaker Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and X-Ray FM KXRY Portland. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Thanks for tuning in.